Amen, and thank you, Brother Tim. What a song, an amazing God is still amazing me. Aren't you amazed today at what God's done in your life and what he's done for all who will trust in him and what he provides to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? I want us to continue today with uh, our study of the Old Testament and, and the, the ex exposure of the one who is coming as a shadows of Christ are mentioned over and over again throughout the Old Testament. The first century theologian Augustine made this statement, the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. The new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. And that's exactly what we're looking at and talking about as we look at the Old Testament as portraits of the Lord Jesus Christ as presented throughout the Old Testament, shadows of him and of his coming and of his work. Today, we're going to look at the tabernacle. As we began Exodus a couple of weeks ago, we look at the tabernacle today, a beautiful shadow of the now finished work of Jesus, but especially his work of atonement for our sins. And especially we see this in the part of the tabernacle that is called the Holy of Holies. As I give a brief overview of the tabernacle, I want to remind you that we're not doing a study on the tabernacle. If we were, this would take weeks and weeks to walk through. But we just do an overview as we're doing a study on the shadows of Christ found in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was compromised of three, or compromised, comprised would be the right word. It was made up of three different areas. The outer court, that's inside of the wall, the, the fence. And in the outer court, you would find the priests working all the time. There was the, there was the altar of where sacrifices would be made. There was the bronze wash basin where the priests would have to go by all during the day numerous times and cleanse their hands and their feet from the work of the ministry even. From the work in the tabernacle, there was a constant reminder of the cleansing that one needs even in Christ. As we're reminded, as, as, as John tells us in his epistle, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John wrote that epistle to the Christian. So it's a constant reminder to the Christian, to the child of God, to the saved person, that even though you're saved, there is a need to be cleansed every day, multiple times a day, from the sins that we commit, even in doing the work of the ministry, even in living our lives, doing our jobs, uh, having a good time and in, 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 in functions that we attend. In all of those things, there's a constant need of returning to the place of confession and getting forgiveness of our sins. The holy place was in the tabernacle proper. The tabernacle itself was 15 feet wide and 45 
uh, feet long. The first part of that tabernacle proper was called the holy place, and it was 15 feet wide like the rest of it, but it was 30 feet in length. It held the golden lampstand, if you'll remember, which constantly shed light on the table of presence where the showbread was located. And if you have not studied the tabernacle, this may sound like it's a foreign language to you, but in that compartment, there was a lampstand that, that furnished light. The priest had to provide the oil for it to burn and, and wicks for it to continue to burn. And it shed light on the showbread that's on the other side of that, that area of that room. And the showbread table was called the table of presence. And it was a constant reminder of the priest who would enter in to that holy place. That God was always with them, always there. He never forsook them. They could count on his constant abiding presence. And for us. We are reminded that Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always, even until the end of the ages. And we're thankful that we're reminded through his word and reminded here in the Old Testament of the promise that is given that he will never leave us. Also, there was the altar of incense in the holy place. It was a, where the priest would light the incense twice a day and it would be constantly giving off a fragrance to remind those priests when they're doing their work in the holy place and, and they're replacing the bread on the showbread table and the showbread had to be eaten every evening and, and consumed by the priest and it was replaced every day and a, the table of presence and that Incense would remind them of the sweetness of being in the presence of our God. The sweet odor of being in his presence. And as a Christian, we are reminded by the presence of Jesus of how sweet that is. Oh, how wonderful to walk with him. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Sweet, sweet. Jesus, and we're reminded of that. And this was a shadow of you, if you would, of the one who was going to come and provide all of these things that were being taught in this holy place as God had given instructions and directions to Moses as how this place was to be built. And then we come to the part of the Holy of Holies, there is, a t there is a curtain with many layers there that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And it was a very thick curtain, heavy curtain. And only the high priest could go in to the holy of holies. And once a year, he would go in and prepare the mercy seat, the altar, place the hot coals there. And later he would bring in the blood from the sacrifice, and sprinkled the blood on the hot coals on the mercy seat that had been provided there, and he would confess the sins of the people of the nation of Israel, 
reminding them that God has used this day of atonement, that he was going to provide a cleansing. He was going to provide a forgiveness. And inside of the Holy Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, you remember, where this mercy seat was found. As we talk about the Ark of the Covenant, there are several things that come out, and I know I'm going 90 to nothing, but stay with me as God blesses us through this study. The Ark of the Covenant is symbolic of God's throne and his presence. The most sacred article of furniture in the tabernacle is this Ark of the Covenant. In fact, it was the very first piece of furniture that God told Moses to build when he gave him all of the instructions about the material to be used and the dimensions and the building of the, the tabernacle. And he told him to build this place first of all. It was built to house the Ark of the Covenant of a reminder, as a reminder of God's presence with his people. It was the first piece of furniture, as I said. Listen to Exodus 25, 8 and 9. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Just like the altar of sacrifice and the altar of incense and the table of presence where the showbread was and the, and, and the ark that was made out of the archaea, acacia, excuse me, wood covered with gold. It was covered in gold both inside and outside. And I'm talking about the ark of the covenant. Covered with gold, made of acacia wood, just like the other pieces of furniture. But it was covered inside and outside with gold. You see, acacia wood is symbolic or shadow of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Born of the Virgin Mary, all man, but yet you remember he is all God. The gold is symbolic of his deity, the Son of God. And we have a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that is presented by this Ark of the Covenant. The wood encased in gold is symbolic of the coming together of the humanity and the deity of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ all in one. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, born of the Virgin Mary, taking on the flesh of mankind, but he's all God the Son in flesh as he came for us. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant, there are three things. First of all, there's the gar, a gold jar of manna. As you remember, God provided manna every morning for the Israelites. It was just on the ground there for them to gather and to eat. And a piece of this was placed in a jar and put into the Ark of the Covenant the food God provided for them. You see, manna is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Manna is called the bread from heaven. 
And Jesus himself said that he was the bread from heaven, the true bread. In John chapter 6 and verses 32 through 35, this is what the word of God says. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and who, who, he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, the manna was free for the taking, and so God freely gave his son that all who will receive him will, for, will receive forgiveness, a personal relationship with God, and everlasting life. The gospel is also free for the taking it is available for whosoever will, according to the very words of Jesus, the bread of life, who came and says, I've come to offer you life as God has given his only son. Not only did we find the manna in the jar that was inside of the Ark of the Covenant, but Aaron's rod was inside of the Ark of the Covenant as a sign of authority, a beautiful picture of Jesus. You remember, he is the first fruits of the dead. He was resurrected first under the promises of the new covenant, and all true followers will be resurrected at his second Coming, a picture of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority over life, over death, and everlasting life. It is all given to him. He says, everything has been given to me. All is entrusted to me. And we find in him the authority of giving us life and forgiveness. Not only did it have the... Uh, the manna that was encased in the gold jar and Aaron's rod that you remember it was the one that budded and, and uh, what, a, what a beautiful thing God did. And then the third thing was the tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments, if you would. Inside the ark were the tablets of the law God had engraved and given to Moses. Now, even though Moses had broken the first set of the tablets, when he saw the Israelites in their rebellion and worshiping a golden calf, and he threw down the, the stones and they broke as a symbolic of the broken law, already broken before he even brought it down to them. And those God gave him, again, wrote the, the law on the tablets, and he gave them to Moses and told him to place them inside of the Ark of the Covenant. He said that he didn't come to destroy the law, as what Jesus said, but to fulfill it. You see, Jesus is the definite fulfillment of the law. And so the Ark of the Covenant is a beautiful picture of God's blessings, 
It is a beautiful picture of him being the bread of life and the one who offers life. It is a beautiful picture of his authority, the one who is promised and going to come, and a beautiful picture that he is the one who satisfied the law. Paul said it simply in Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. In Matthew, Jesus said that he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. What does that mean? In him, there was no blemish. In him, there was no spot. In him, there was no corruption. In him, there was no sin. But in everything, every breath of air of his life was breathed to perfection. Every word that he spoke was spoken to perfection. He says, what you hear me saying is what the Father is saying. Every deed that he did was done to perfection. For he says, when you've seen me work, you've seen the Father at work. For the Father and I are one. And so Jesus fulfilled these types of him that are given in the Ark of the Covenant that is placed inside of the Holy of Holies upon which the mercy seat is and where the offering was made of the sprinkling of the blood. And Jesus is presented in those facts in that. Now, this, uh, that's a quick covering of the tabernacle. You know, the tabernacle, you remember, is a temporary place of worship. As the Israelites were sojourning through all of the land in the wilderness before they entered into the promised land some 40 years later, the tabernacle went wherever they went, and they would set it up all over again can you imagine the labor that was involved in the, with all of that, but yet a constant reminder to them that God required a sacrifice. God required the shedding of the blood. That God was always with them and in in his presence was there. That God had a plan of redemption that was promised to them and that God was in full control in authority in their lives and over all of the nations of the world, wherever they went, they could trust in God. And Jesus said, the Father and I are one. All power is given to me, he said. And he says, you did not, no man takes my life, but I've come to give my life. And he said, through that, all who believe on him could have everlasting life. You see, the access to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. It was 15 feet wide, 15 feet long, and 15 feet high. A thick curtain separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. This curtain was known, as I mentioned earlier, as the veil and it was made of fine linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. The Holy of Holies is a place into which believers of old never dared enter. They would not go there. 
It was a place, as I had said earlier, that only the high priest would go once a year. And then, with much fear and trembling, he would go in and there would be a rope tied around his ankle in case he didn't make it alive where they could drag him out and nobody else could go in there. He went in with fear and trembling. The room contained, as I remind you again, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. The high priest would enter once each year to sprinkle the blood, as I told you earlier in the message, to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat, on the hot coals, in atonement for himself and all the people for their sins. The same process went on year after year after year. The sacrifice on the Day of Atonement did not grant the people forgiveness of their sins, but it did instead deferred or set them aside for another year. You remember, before this took place, there would be the scapegoat. And the priest would place his hands on the head of the scapegoat that would be brought into the outer courtyard. And he would confess the sins of the people. And then the scapegoat would be taken far from the encampment and released in the wilderness as though he carried the sins of the people away. And then after that took place was a sacrifice and the blood was gathered and it would be sprinkled on the hot coals of the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Once a year this would take place. But it was a reminder that God was there and that God had a plan. Well, we find out when we read the book of Hebrews that the blood of sheep and goats will never, ever erase sin, will never give anybody forgiveness, but is the shed blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary went on year after year. In a sense, it was just a reminder to the people of their sin and a reminder that God had deferred their judgment that he promised upon them and he had put it off another year. And that went on every year, put it off for another year, put it off for another year until Jesus showed up on the scene and God chastised him for all of us, for all of the mankind from past and all of mankind for future. Jesus had a, placed upon him the guilt of the sins of the whole world. And that no longer has to be done every year of taking the blood of other of animals into the Holy of Holies. For on the day that Jesus died, there was an earthquake. And the Bible says God reached down and he tore that veil in the temple that was now a, a permanent temple had been built. And he tore that veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies and opened up that place and saying, thereby all may come, all all may believe, all may have fellowship with me. Forgiveness has been provided, and you can know forgiveness and life in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10. The law is only a shadow. That's what we're studying. Listen, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. 
Now, I'll tell you, the word shadow gives the image of an artist drawing an outline of the picture before feeling, filling in the details of the painting and the colors. Going on in, cha in chapter 10, for this reason I can never, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw no, near to worship. If it could, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have found, been found guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins so we had no access to god we had no access into the presence of a holy god we had no access to forgiveness but jesus giving himself on the cross of calvary god ripped that curtain when his son gave himself as a sacrifice for sin and symbolically said now it's open now you may believe. Now you may come to me. Now you may have forgiveness and everlasting life. He was indeed proclaiming that God's redemptive plan was now complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. The age of animal offerings is over. The age of keeping all of the feast and all of the other Laws is over. The ultimate offering has been sacrificed. The Holy of Holies is now the place that God calls all believers unto, unto himself and into that fellowship, willing that we should come not in fear, but as the writer of Hebrews says, come boldly to the throne and find grace and find help in our time of need. All made possible when that veil was rent and the Holy of Holies opened up and God invited all who will, whosoever will, may come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and fellowship with the Holy God. The Holy of Holies is now a place where God sends an invitation from and says, come unto me. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He invites you to come and to once and for all to receive the free pardon of sin, to have fellowship with him that never should end. And uh, know that you have an eternity to spend in a prepared place for all who will come into the throne room of God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We can come boldly. That doesn't mean cocky. That doesn't mean self-worth. It means come with assurance. Jesus paid it all. 
All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Come in boldness. Come in assurance. Come in a satisfaction that Jesus has finished all that needs to be done for your forgiveness and mine, for our life for eternity, for our having a place in heaven with God forever. It's all been provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can come into God's presence. We can come there in joy. We can come there reverently. We can come there in peace. We can come there for comfort, never in fear. We're invited to come. Oh, the Old Testament folks, before the coming of Jesus, they were forbidden to come. They were just taught that there was going to be a provision made as it was taught through the sacrifices. A provision would be made for them to have life. And by faith, it says, Abraham. By faith, Noah. And so by faith, they trusted that God would provide that way of forgiveness and that way for eternal life. But we live on this side of Calvary. And we're invited right now to know him, to walk with him, to trust him, and a fellowship with him. Back in verse 10 of Hebrews, or chapter 10, look at, listen to verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from all guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Back in verse 10, as I started to say, we are told this sacrifice is once and for all, it does not need to be repeated. In that Jesus died, he died once for our sins. But in that he lives, he lives forever. For our justification and for our redemption. Aren't you thankful? And all of this pictured through the tabernacle in the Old Testament. You see, God did it for you. He offers forgiveness. He offers life for you. He offers for you to have everlasting life. If you've never come to Jesus, what a good day to do it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the study that we get to do as we walk through this time of worship. Lord, I pray that the things that I've tried to share have sunk deeply into the hearts and the minds of those who listen, to those who are listening at home and, and to those who are listening through the week. Lord, I pray you'll use the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart as I'm prepared to teach us, to grow us, to mature us, and to give us confidence in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.